Father in heaven, thank you so much again for just the the beautiful, um, cool weather. Um, Thank you that you have placed all of us at this point in our life in Arizona um, where we can enjoy the sun. And Jesus, we thank you for drawing us here, for offering us salvation, for giving us a chance uh, to live life with hope. Um, We declare this space your space, and we confess as people um, that we don't know all the time why we're here. Holy Spirit, give us courage tonight to believe what's true and to push out what's false. Give us uh, insight into the needs and longings of our friends and those who are here tonight. And give us uh, the strength to bear one another's burdens. And ask that in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So uh, I want to start out tonight in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. And it's a story, it starts out with a story about this woman named Hannah. Now, the Old Testament is Israel's story with God, and it's the first part of the Bible. But there's this woman named Hannah, and she goes up to worship in this place called Shiloh with her husband every year. And there's a, the, Hannah has this distressing thing. She cannot have any children, but her husband's other wife named Paniah has a bunch of children. And a bunch of children means blessing. And so there's just this anguish in her. And, and the other problem is Panaya is just a jerk about it. She's constantly, constantly irritating her and telling her, like, well, I have the children and you don't. And you're messed up. And there's got to be something wrong with you. And she's constantly picking at her. And what we're going to do is pick up the story in verse 8 of this It says, her husband, and by the way, this is going to be just a demonstration. If we're going to go back a few series to the marriage series, this is a demonstration on what husbands shouldn't do when their wives are in distress. Okay, her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed out to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Some translations say, a bitterness of soul. Hannah had a bitterness, which is, could you could imagine a false, or a, a bad taste, or like it was something deep within her that just, it was not something that she could let go of. The thing about bitterness is that it always, always comes from adversity, right? If you think about it, and I don't need to define bitterness for you, all of you are bitter in some way or some form in your life, or you've been bitter in the past, right? And bitterness doesn't come when you, like I did a few weeks ago, um, got a check in the mail for $100 from TMC 
two years later after they had admitted to messing up my hospital admission. Like, I'm not bitter about that now. I have $100. Like, I'm like, oh, they sent me 100 bucks. You know, when someone feeds us a good meal, we're not going to all go to Ron and be like, seriously, like, you just, I hate meat and I hate you. Like, why did you cook this? Like, no, good, good. Like, it comes from adversity. It comes from adversity. Bitterness, where it begins, is in adversity. In 1999, I found myself in a very interesting situation. I was non-paid staff at a larger church here in town running the singles and college ministry. And there was this huge upheaval in the staff there. And when the new pastor came, he came to me and the other leaders of our community and he said, hey, where you guys are going and what you're doing and the people you're reaching, it it doesn't fit our mission. Like you're ahead of us and you're just going to be a distraction. So you need to go. And so they, it was a good thing. I mean, they prayed over us, and they sent us off, and they said, good luck, and never called. And so there we were in the summer of 99, wondering what we were going to do. And through a series of unfortunate events and fortunate events, a young pastor by the name of Jamie met me for lunch, said, hey, I have this church of people who just love young people. We want you guys to come be part of our community. And so they showed up at our next meeting. He started pursuing me. He'd have lunch with me. He drove me up to California to take a seminary class. He discipled me. He, it was, I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. I love this. This is what I always wanted. You know, this, somebody who's just going to pour their life into me and let me join them in doing ministry and take care of all the people I care about. This is awesome. And then in November of 1999, He sits down with me for lunch, and he says, Eric, I am no longer cut out for ministry. I've decided I don't like ministry. I'm leaving. And at this point, I had just joined the church, and about 20 or 30 of these single people had all joined the church, and we're all, you know, hoping to do this ministry, and everybody's excited. And he says, I'm going to recommend to the elders that they hire you until you, until we get a pastor. And he left like three weeks later. He was gone. So he pitched this vision, and all of a sudden, like, there I am, just left standing. Now, we started, we're in this series on forgiveness. And we started the series by saying that the obstacles to forgiveness are pride, anger, and anxiety. That the things that make it difficult for you and I to forgive one another is that we ha- we're proud, we get angry, and we're, there's a strong anxiousness in us. But I would say that's the plant. And at the bottom of that plant, the root bed is bitterness. The root bed is bitterness. So you and I have been called, if we are followers of Jesus, out of anger and out of pride and out of anxiety, out of bitterness, and into forgiveness. The kingdom of God is about forgiveness. The obstacle often is bitterness. So tonight what I want to do is kind of help you first diagnose your bitterness in your life. I'm going to help you a little bit. So here are some things that will help you see maybe where the bitterness is in your life. So the first has to do with self-image. 
when you're bitter, two things happen. There's some adverse experience. So I had this experience where this pastor who I thought was investing in my life just abandoned me. So the first thing is I start saying, there's got to be something wrong with me, right? There's something wrong with me. And then it quickly moves to there's something wrong with him. I'm better than him, right? So, so either I swing from being like, there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with him right? When you're caught up in that narrative, you know that there's some kind of bitterness. The second thing is, is that you're cynical and paranoid, right? You're cynical and paranoid. When Rod and I just sat down and we're like, okay, we're going to plant a church together. I said, well, this is how it's going to start, buddy. Number one, you're not my mentor. Okay, because if you're my mentor, you're going to take advantage of me and use me for your own good and then leave. So it's going to be a partnership, right? Because everybody is really out to use me, right? I'm very usable, right? And so you become very cynical and paranoid when you're bitter. The other thing is, is that you get frozen in that event, right? You tell that over and over again. And for I would say for five years after Jamie kind of abandoned me and my community, um, I was stuck in telling that story to myself over and over again. This is the way the church is. People care about you because they want to use you for something, right? You have to be really careful because like, this is what happened to me. And so you get frozen in that story, right? You're frozen in it, and it begins to define who you are. And on top of that, the more frozen you're in it, the more time and energy you waste, right? Because your whole story becomes about this past event that's defined who you are, right? And it impacts your relationships. This is how you know if you struggle with bitterness. If your friends can tell you all about the story of your bitterness. Like, oh yeah, don't, don't let, you know, Eric start talking about that. Because you know you're going to hear about, and everybody knows. So, so your relationship with people becomes very one-dimensional. It's about how you were slighted. So these are some things. So if any of those res- resonate with you, there's probably some level of, of bitterness. And when we focus on bitterness, it becomes very difficult for us to forgive. So this whole series has been focused on this passage, Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. So what we've been saying is, hey, we're not going to just sit here and define forgiveness. What we're going to say is, here are all the things that make it difficult for you to forgive, right? Because all of us, understand what it means to forgive, right? Yeah, sometimes we have some little questions on the outside. Should I, can I forgive my abuser? And does that mean I have to be in relationship with them? But, But no, you don't. And you can still forgive them. We know what forgiveness is. We understand that innately. The thing that makes it very difficult for us 
is it's hard to get rid of bitterness. But we all understand what get rid is. I mean, I don't need to tell you what the Greek of get rid is. Like, you guys know what that means. It's get rid of it, right? All bitterness. Well, bitterness is prolonged animosity in one direction, right? Bitterness is a directed animosity that just continues to go, right? So my bitterness against Jamie, of which we resolve things, and I have forgiven him, and we've talked through a lot of it, um, but when I was kind of nurturing that bitterness, it was an animosity towards him, and he was defining my life, right? So the call for us to forgive, one of the roadblocks to it is bitterness. One of the roadblocks is bitterness. Now, last week, Rod talked about grieving the Holy Spirit, which was the earlier part of that passage. And at the core of his sermon, basically you could boil all his points down to two things. That grieving the Holy Spirit is one built around turning away from God, so turning, leaving your relationship with God and beginning to treat others poorly. So we grieve the Holy Spirit when we say no to God and begin to treat others poorly. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus gives us a defining commandment. In John 13, 34, and 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. God gives us a mission, which is to go make disciples. But what he says is that the way that somebody who doesn't know Jesus is going to understand who Jesus is, is the way that we love one another. That the entire um, Christian faith, the kingdom of God, is built on the way that you and I engage one another. The way our marriages are, the way our friendships are. But guess what the core of forgiveness is. I mean, love is. It's forgiveness. I I ruined it there. But the core is forgiveness, right? What's the definition of God's love for us? That he laid his life down, that he died for us, that he forgave us, right? So forgiveness is what defines who we are. Bitterness destroys community. Bitterness destroys, it eats us alive. And it makes it very difficult for us to love, which then means it makes it very difficult for us to communicate who Jesus is to the outside world. Right? Now, all of that is wonderful. We can say, okay, we want to be a community that loves. We want to have marriages that have love. We want to throw out bitterness. right? We, want, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We can see how all this defines who we are. But here's the problem. Hannah, right? Not this Hannah. <laughs> She's not the problem. But in our earlier story, <laughs> just in case, since we're a small community and I'm like, here's the problem, Hannah, right over there. Just in case you guys were concerned about that. Um, Hannah, in our earlier story, like there's no justice for her when it comes to Paniah basically harassing her all the time. Right? God doesn't come in the story as we'll continue in it and smite her, her and be like, oh, Paniah just falls over dead. And Hannah's like, oh, gosh, finally, a little peace, right? There, there isn't, there's nothing like that. God doesn't, you know, here she is bearing the, the anguish of not being able to have a child. And at 
up to this point in our story and up at that point in her story when she's weeping, nothing's changed, right? When it came to Jamie, I had no power. I couldn't say, say, no, don't go. In fact, there was this huge meeting for the whole church and everyone's like, no, we love you. We'll do anything to keep you. Don't go. They still went. We had no power, right? There's no justice. The reason that we're bitter often when we're wronged is because we have no justice, right? And there's something inside of us that says, when we've been wronged, we need justice. But here's the thing about justice. If someone were to murder your lovely child or your husband or your friend, and then they go and they spend a lifetime in prison, miserable, and die, or they get the death penalty and die, or they get hit by a car and die, you don't get justice. You still have loss, right? Because bitterness comes when there's no justice and there's loss. And in that, it makes it so difficult for us to forgive because there's this cry inside of us for justice. But Paul, in Romans 12, 19, which chapter 12 is one of my favorite chapters. I love reading it over and over again. You should too. But this is a great verse in Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. Bitterness is actually a form of revenge. The call is to step out of that. Now, Paul, I think, who writes a lot of the New Testament, you've got to understand who he's saying this to. He's saying it to the, to the Roman church, but in the early church, he could go sit in the, the church of Jerusalem, and there were relatives, people like they were like, you were responsible for the death of my husband. You are responsible for separating my family, right? So he's saying, do not take revenge. It's God's. And he understands where he's coming from in saying that, that he deserves consequences, right? That people could be bitter at him. But think about it, the early church. Why do you think Paul is always writing all these rules and telling people, stop doing this and don't do this? Because the early church was a mess. Because here, you imagine this. We'll sit with just this little church. This is about the size of an early church. They're all gathered together, and you're looking around, and you've been married to two or three people here, right? And maybe you've had a few of their wives, and vice versa. And so there's a lot going on just relationally. We got some problems here. And then we got some slaves. Like your slave is over there, and he's an elder, and you're just the person in the church, and so he's in charge of you until you go home, and then you're in charge of him. It's like complicated, right? And there's lots of room to wrong one another and to hurt one another and to misunderstand each other and to make a mess of things and to be bitter and to abandon forgiveness. And Paul calls us to not take revenge because God will repay. Now here's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus is that when someone wrongs us, the the, the justice has already been poured out on Jesus. The consequence for their wrong has been poured out on Jesus. Like you and I can step into relationship with them, even though they've wronged us, and forgive them because Jesus has died for them and he's died for us. Right? Because the cross is a reconciling thing. 
If you remember the passage in Ephesians, that bottom verse there says that we've been forgiven because we're in Christ. God forgives us. Like that's what forgiveness is rooted in, is our in Christness, right? But, okay, it's, it's easy enough, again, to say the justice is poured out on Jesus, that you need to not take revenge. But it's still difficult to deal with the things that form bitterness in us, right? So I want to read the rest of this story um, about Hannah, starting in verse 10. Um, so I'll read a little bit of what we've already read. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have, been drinking, I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in my eyes, in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. So there's a couple of things in here that are interesting. Number one, Hannah is full of emotion, right? She's, she's full of emotion. But it's a, a grief, right? So, here, so the first thing is that when you and I go to forgive someone and, and we're, we're thinking about what that looks like, we have to acknowledge that someone has wronged us. Someone has wounded us. There's something wrong that's painful, right? Emotion is fine. In fact, bitterness is formed when you and I push down our emotion about the adversity that we're experiencing in life. Now, Hannah goes before God and weeps. And I would argue that that's part of what you and I have to do is we have to play out our emotion in front of God. But also, I think you and I have to play out our emotion with one another. We have to say, it hurts that my life is this way. I do not know what to do. I want it to be different. There is an anguish in my soul that tastes like bitterness. Right? There's something deep in my soul. Deep, deep in my soul. But then she prays in that emotion. And it's interesting about her emotional prayer. It's because she's very honest about what she wants right? She wants a solution to the most painful thing that's in her life, right? Because she doesn't ask him to smite Paniah, because Paniah is just pointing out, like, the painful thing in her life. And that is that she wants a baby. And she does it in, in the way that all of you would ask for something. 
She says, if you do this, I'll do this. Just give me a baby and I'll give it back to you. I just want a baby. Right? She just pours it out to him. Now, this isn't the first time she's poured it out to him. She's been pouring it out to him for a very long time. And probably every time she sees Penaeus' kids laugh, she's pouring it out to him. Because this is what she wants. But there's also a grief to it. But here's the thing. When you're emotional in front of God and when you're willing to put out your longings and desires before God, there's something that you're saying. You're saying that God is trustworthy, right? Trust, Hannah trusts God with herself, right? Hannah trusts God with herself. When we talk about trust, we talk about it as being something that's connected to faith, right? Trust and faith are very similar. But really what it means is that she's willing to step into an an intimate relationship with God, to say God is trustworthy. When you are bitter and you're like, okay, I can't believe Jamie ever did that to me. This is stupid. Like, I wish I had a child. Like, I can't stand Panaya. I just wish I could, you know, do something to her. I can't figure out what would work. Right? Like, if, if we're there, what happens? We're completely out of relationship with God. We don't think God's trustworthy, and we don't want him to be part of anything. Bitterness moves us away from God. Being willing to be emotional and grieve over our pain and pray and speak out what we want means that we believe that God can be trusted no matter what happens. No matter what happens. And anytime you're willing to walk through pain that could lead you to bitterness and walk away from bitterness, you get a blessing. You will always get a blessing. Go through the stories of the Old and New Testament and look at everyone who's described as having a bitter soul. Or they end up being blessed when they walk through their bitterness. And guess what the blessing most often they get is? Is peace. Right? Hannah has left this burden on God. God has spoken to her by Eli, which is not a, hey, you're going to get what you want, just, I hope God blesses you. And she gets up, she eats something, and her face is no longer downtrodden, right? It's because she's left her burden. When you and I are willing to walk through bitterness, we end up with peace. And when we end up in peace, it makes it so much easier for us to forgive. Right? It makes it so much easier for us to forgive because we're not operating from a place of bitterness and animosity and anger. So, anybody have any questions? Don't worry about it. Yes, sir. When uh, we got our mic runner. I guess it'd be helpful if there was a commentary in uh, Samuel, but I'm surprised that God responds to Hannah's, what strikes me as bargaining with a blessing. Yeah. Um, And God always uses our broken, incomplete motives. But I mean, can you talk a little more about the bargaining part? Sure. I mean, we could, we could write a sermon on how to bargain with God and get what you want. 
Um, but that's that's. But I think what's going. What I usually the way I read that is kind of what I said. Like that there's a brutal honesty about it. Like it's a desperateness. And often when we're desperate with God, we bargain. And I don't think God has any problem with that. I don't really think he has. He's not like, oh man, I was going to give you a baby, Hannah, but you bargained, so you're out. Like, sorry. Like, no, I think he enjoys the honesty and the rawness of who we are and our desires. Like, we don't have to, like, make sure our desires get right before him. We can place them there. He can handle them. Anybody else have any questions? Yes, here comes the mic. Uh, I was just wondering if you could comment on the fact that uh, what I use, and I assume a lot of other people do, is to sort of rally the troops to support you when you feel that you have been wronged. And the bitterness doesn't go away. You just you get a momentary relief, and then it's worse later. And I just wondered if how sure. do you avoid that? Well, I think that one... You can forewarn your friends that, hey, I'm this way, and when I get this way, would you confront me? So there's one, one way, I think. I think the other thing is to think that when you're talking and rallying the troops, what you have to understand is that you are avoiding something. You're avoiding an emotional experience of really actually digging into the pain of whatever it is that you are facing. Like, what you want to do is try to get through it. So you're going to rally the troops so we can get through this. And so then what happens after that is it's sort of, it's kind of like doing drugs or drinking. There's a, there's a euphoria, but the euphoria kind of goes down into numbness. Um, and so a lot of it is being able to say, okay, no, instead of going to my friends, I'm actually going to go to God and say, okay, God, like, I'm angry about this and I'm hurt by this, and I don't like the way this is, and this is what I would like to be different, but I want you to take it and deal with it. And then you'll probably feel, you won't feel numb, you might feel empty differently, a different emptiness, but I think it's a, a space where God can meet you and speak to you. So let me give you the time so I don't go over. Next Six, oh, Six, oh, oh, good, I got time. I was just curious about what the mechanism is there to actually let the burden go. I mean, it's one thing to say it in my mind and say, okay, God, I'm really sick of holding on to this bitterness and I want to want to give it to you and then it comes back. And so am I just not actually honestly giving it over? Or maybe what has been your experience with actually getting getting rid of it and putting it um, on, on Jesus? Um, well, I think... The first step is to grieve the wound before you try to remove bitterness. I think you, a lot of times what we forget is just how painful the experience was in our life, or even just how painful to be infertile is for Hannah, and then to have someone point it out to you all the time. There's a grief and a sorrow to that that we're really afraid to experience. Yes, ma'am. So I think you said that um, that the bitterness is oftentimes due to injustice. Yes. So if the injustice is ongoing, it's kind of difficult to therefore give up the bitterness. I mean, one, you want to address the injustice and fix it if you can sure. or something. 
or do something anyway. So what about that? Right. So we, we can find ourselves in a lot of different situations. So if we think about it just from a relational context, um, so, yeah, sometimes um, we, can, we can, by engaging in relationship with the person who's hurting us, um, maybe get some justice and saying, hey, that was painful. And they can say, oh, I'm sorry. But we're not in control of them responding, right? So we can say, hey, I don't like being whacked like this. And they're like, well, so? Right? So they, we can't control their response, even if we're vulnerable. Um, when you're talking about dealing with injustice out in the culture, that's, that, you know, is, again, I, I think when you look at how Martin Luther King approached it in a form of nonviolence, it was a presenting of the woundedness and a presenting of the, the need without, you know, being violent, without offering justice yourself. Um, so I think the hard part is, is that God calls us into vulnerability. And that's terrifying because we can get wounded again and hurt again. Um, if it's somebody who's, who's hurting you and you uh, and it's physical, like yes, there can be justice in that people, you know, the law can remove them and you should remove yourself, but you may never restore that relationship, like that you can still forgive them and say, okay, like you're human too. Some of forgiveness is just saying, you have human dignity. You have a story too. So I don't know if that answers your question, but um. how do we reflect to each other in a in not too aggressive way that they may be bitter? <laughs> or and help someone see that make something they don't maybe see. I don't know. Well, I, I'll tell you that in a lot of ways, for me personally, like Rod helped me out of my bitterness by not actually confronting with me of my bitterness, just sitting there and being like, "Okay, that's the way you want it. That's the way you can have it," and still offered me good things and still mentored me. Even though I was like, we're not, we're not, we're not, you're not mentoring me. You know, that's fine. He offered himself and allowed me to be immature. So sometimes we just have to let the person be immature and offer. Other times I think it's just fine to say, I think maybe you're bitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? To be straightforward. Um, yeah, there's no real, I think the Holy Spirit is, you have to really pray and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What are you doing in this person's life? And how do I join you in that? Because a lot of times what we think is, I need to do the thing. So I'm going to help you. Instead of asking God, like, okay, what are you doing here? And how can I be part of that? Anybody else? Thoughts? Questions? Comments? Not yes. Maybe if you help them get in touch with their pain because you're there to listen and see them in their pain, sometimes that can help diffuse the bitterness. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a good point. Thank you, Mike. Right here. And then I think we'll make this one the last one. So I really resonated with what David was talking about of like demanding from God or pleading 
And I'm curious if you have any comments on the difference between offering our heart in a brokenness and demanding how we think things should be. Because Hannah didn't demand, but she like offered, please do this. I don't know, I just... I, yeah, no, that's, that's it. Oh, you got a lightsaber now. <laughs> Give it to the child. That, that's a good point. Like, yes, she was bargaining, bargaining, but she wasn't demanding. She's like, this is what I want, and this is what you'll do. I mean, I think you kind of answered your own question, and that's in that sense. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this community and, and the call that you put on us to be people of forgiveness. I ask that in the places where we are bitter and we're wrestling with bitterness and the way it's kind of eaten us alive and the way that we think about ourselves and the places that we're stuck in our stories, that you would free us up tonight. But I just ask that your Holy Spirit would come on us and free us and that the enemy wouldn't have a place there and would not be able to, to lock us down in our bitterness. And I ask that in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.